are free people. Okay? We are a free people. We are a free people. <laughs> they got it. Okay, good. We are. Sometimes it doesn't look like it. It doesn't smell like it. Sometimes it don't feel like it. But friend, we are a free people. Unlike any other country, Anywhere else on this planet, we are still a free people, and we celebrate that freedom on July 4th. One of our nation's founding documents is called the Declaration of Independence. And in that Declaration of Independence are these words, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'll say it again. We are a free people. We are. And what is interesting whether or not you understand this or are aware of this, is that our nation's founders realized the importance of basing that freedom upon the same set of laws that God gave to Moses at Mount Sinai. I mean, it's true. If you look just about any place in Washington, D.C., you will find scripture written on about every famous building in sight, including the Capitol building where the Supreme Court meets and pray for them. I, I, I have never, ever witnessed what I'm witnessing with the attack on the judicial body of our governments, the ill speaking that's coming from other branches of government. It just... It disturbs me. But as you walk up to the steps to the Capitol building, you, you can see the top of the building. There's a row of, of statues that are engraved there that represent the world's great lawgivers. And each one of those statues is facing one statue in the middle, and that one statue is facing forward with a full frontal view. And, of course, you all know who that is, correct? It's Moses. And he's holding the Ten Commandments. If you go in and enter the Supreme Court itself, there are two huge oak doors. And engraved at the lower portion of each of those doors, guess what you'll see? You'll see the tablets of stone representing the Ten Commandments. And what's even more interesting is that if you were to sit inside that courtroom, you could see on the wall far above, right above where the Supreme Court justices sat, again, a display of the Ten Commandments. 
Now, you know, let's, let's ask the question. Why would they design the Supreme Court in this way? Because as a nation of free people, our leaders intended to build our freedom upon God's laws given to Moses at Mount Sinai. So I want to take a look at something here at Mount Sinai because this is where they received the Ten Commandments and all the rest of God's commandments that came with them. And the very first words of those commandments are these. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They've been brought out of the house of slavery. Once they were slaves, now they're free. God made them free. Now they were on their way to the promised land, a land that would be for them a, a land of freedom. But on their way to that land of freedom, God had them stopping here at this mountain. And there they're supposed to receive. They're going, they, they, they were there to receive God's law. And this law is, is going to be the foundation of their blessing and of their freedom as a people of God. You'll recall that in Deuteronomy, God tells them if they obey his laws, if they obey his laws. Remember what that says? He says, he says you are blessed in the city, blessed in the country. And, and, and your descendants will be blessed and your soils produce and the offspring of your livestock, including the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks. Hmm. It goes on to continue to say, your basket and eating bowl will be blessed. You're, you'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will cause the enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will march out against you from one direction but flee from you in seven directions. And the Lord will grant you a blessing on your storehouse and on everything you do. He will bless you in the land the Lord is giving, the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you in his, as his holy people as he swore to you if you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. I love those verses, but let me reiterate something here. God was promising Israel that his law would be the foundation of their freedom and their blessing as people of God. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever underlook that. There were God's laws that were incorporated. His commands. For example, God's law concerning cleanliness and sanitation that would spare Israel from plagues and infections. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you smell good this morning. Okay, somebody, somebody messed up. Anyways, you know, even though the Bible says about that, we, we take much of the, what the Bible says a lot today for granted because 
Our culture has understood the importance of such things like hygiene and sanitation. But that has not always been the case. Back in 1840, the Medical Center of Europe was in Vienna, Austria. If you had a disease or an illness, this was the place to go for the most cutting edge in medical care. In that day, there was a young doctor who was stationed there by the name of Ignis Samoes. Uh, and of course, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm just saying it fast for your go so you can go, oh, so that's how you say that. Okay. But his area specifically was the overs of oversight was the maternity ward of that hospital. And the, per the percentage of death in his ward was extremely high. One out of every six women died of what was called childbed fever. And no explanation, no satis satisfactory explanation seemed to be found for them. So Semelis decided to watch the doctors who treated the women and observed what they did. And he discovered that the physician's first stop there in the morning was the morgue. And of course, they would examine the dead bodies. And you got to remember, there's no rubber gloves in those days. And the doctors never washed their hands. Because there was, you know, in their mind at that time, there, there was no reason to wash your hands. And once they finished examining the corpses, they would then make their way up to the maternity ward to examine the women there. So you can understand why the death rate was so high of the expected mothers there. But Semelis was the first doctor to realize the connection and began to instruct a strict regime of hand washings before doctors examined their any other patients. As a result of that, the death rate plunged to a mere 1% of the patients. Now, you would think that would be that this great achievement and would have been met with this, you know, just praise and support and adulation from the other doctors and, and nurses, but uh-uh. The medical establishment was enraged by the extra burden of having to wash their hands for all the time, and eventually he was let go from the hospital because of it. Well, so he was hired at another hospital in another country, and again, he saw the same thing as far as the horrific death rates and, and that he'd seen before, and so he instituted again the regime of hand washing, and again, the medical staff became angry and ultimately fired him. It wasn't until a man by the name of, and I'm sure you've probably heard of Pastor, confirmed the germ theory years later, and, 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 and that, that Sema Willis, uh, Sema, oh, the guy up on the front there, his ideas began to be endorsed by the doctors. Centuries before, God had declared that anyone who touched a dead body was unclean for seven days. And touching a dead carcass required the washing of one's clothes. The people of Israel observed these laws without understanding 
anything about germs, anything about bacterias or, or viruses. But in obeying these simple rules, they avoided many of the plagues and the diseases that troubled the other nations. Hello? God brought them to the mountain to receive his laws. The law that would be the basis of their freedom as his people. If they obeyed his law, they would remain a free people. But then, just before God gave Israel his law, God did the, well, he did an interesting thing. God tells Moses, and, and go ahead and take a look at it here in Exodus. It, it's, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Interesting. Now, notice something here. He goes on to say, you shall set boundaries. Everybody say the word boundaries. Boundaries, right? You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, take heed to yourself that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Wow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. You want to talk about boundaries. If you touch it, you die. That's a strong, strong statement. Anyone who touched the mountain, turn to your neighbor tell him, you touch it, you die. Yeah. Israel had come to the mountain where their freedom would be based on God's laws. Israel had come to the mountain where their foundation, their freedom of foundation, is going to be based on God's law and freedom. Freedom should be celebrated by fireworks, right? Isn't that what we do? And so God goes off and sets off his own fireworks. That's what he did. I mean, we're told, to take a look at this, verse 18 there in your notes. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you, you, you speak with us and we'll hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. These are so scary that the people tremble. They fear for their lives. And this is a place of foundation of Israel's freedom? Seriously? A base for their freedom to be trembling and scared senseless? I mean, where's the celebration? Where's the excitement? Where's the festivities? Where's the barbecue and the brats? Hello? 
I know where the hot dogs are. But here's my question. And here's the thing that kept twirling around. Why on the earth would God create such an ominous and scary atmosphere for the giving of his law? A law that was intended to give freedom and blessing to Israel. I want you to understand and remember that first of all, God knew their hearts. God knows our hearts. He knows the intentions of your heart, if you want to realize that. But he knew, God knew, they, they'd be hard-hearted and rebellious. He knew that they would provoke him as a result of their behavior. So when he brings them to the base of the mountain to receive commandments, he puts on this really scary light and sound show. He's, he was telling them that these commandments that he was about to give them were commandments, not suggestions. Hello? That they didn't get the vote on them and they wouldn't get to pick and, and choose what they wanted and, and then leave the rest of them. These were God's commands. It was all or nothing. And if they wanted God's freedom, they had to receive God's laws. All of them. All of them. But, but God, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that the importance of this. Do you remember in Joshua, when, when God is instructing Joshua, when God, God tells Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead? It's your turn now. And God gave him explicit instructions. He didn't suggest them. He told them. He told them to do what? To meditate upon his word day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. What was the reason for that? For focus. For direction. Friend, well, I don't want to go off on, 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 a, on a squirrel here, but I'm going to tell you straight up. If we would learn to meditate on his word, half of the things that we get ourselves involved in, we'd never get ourselves involved in. Because his word changes us, directs us, focuses us. As the psalmist said, thy word have I what? Hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Bottom line is, act against you. Live against, not, not so much, well, yeah, apart from you. Doing my own thing, living my own way, declaring I'm God. I know what's best. I know what I need to do. I know where I need to go. I, and never guided by his word, never guided by his spirit. My whole point there is that God sets before them something and says, hey, and there's a reason for their focus and for their direction because God knew the hearts of the Israelites. And I'll say it again. He knows our hearts as well. And that's one of the reasons that he made such an imposing and I believe frightening display at the mountain for them. The second reason may have been that he knew Israel's freedom under the law 
was not total freedom. Now, did you notice the Israelites were not allowed to do what? Touch the mountain. Now, I've seen that a lot of times. I've read it a lot of times. Never really thought about it much. It's just that, you know, if you tell me I'm not going to, yeah, if I touch something, I'm going to die. I'm going to think twice about touching that thing. So I, I just, you know, I, yeah, do I look forward to going to heaven someday and being with Jesus? Yeah, but not right now. You know what I mean? But it caught my attention. They're not allowed to touch the mountain. Okay? Got to remember something here. Who's on the mountain? Obviously, God is. You know, when you get into other cultures and nations, people, a lot of times the way they would honor their pagan gods would be by building altars on high places. You'll notice that as you read through the Old Testament, Israel, still not embracing all of God's commandments, would build altars in the high places to Asherah. Now, again, the idea is that the higher they went, the closer they could get to their God. Makes sense, right? The higher you go, the more closer you are to God. That's about as pagan as you can get. But God didn't want Israel to build altars on the highest places. Deuteronomy spells that out, friend. Why not? Because, listen, Israel didn't belong where he was. Ooh, that sounds rough, don't it? Listen to it in context. Israel didn't belong where he was. He was totally holy and pure, and they weren't. Even after they received the law, their, their sin made them unable to get real close to God. In other words, let me put it to you this way. The law could not make them acceptable to God. Okay? The law could not make them acceptable to God. Take, take a look at what, what Paul writes here in, in, in Galatians 3. He, he says this. He says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live how? By faith. In other words, the law could help you be a better person. Uh-huh but it couldn't get you close to God. The law can make you a better person, but it can't make you close to God. So as, as I've heard it said before, the Ten Commandments will keep you out of jail, but they won't keep you out of hell. You think about that for a second. Simply because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Keeping rules and depending on our own self-righteousness would not give us the right, will not give us the right to come into God's presence because clean living doesn't make us clean enough for God. Hello. I hate to be disappointing some of you. But the reason... <laughs> used to wear white shirts all the time. You know, white shirt and a tie. That's the way it worked. Everybody wore, and, and I'm looking around here, I don't see one tie. God bless you. 
But that's the way it was. I mean, in, our, in that culture, you know, a number of years ago, what, 50, 60 years ago, we, sorry, we used to wear white shirts and ties. We did everything in white shirts and ties. That was, that was the way we lived. You know, you went to work. I don't care where you worked. You worked at a grocery store. You, you, you worked at the hospital. You worked at the church. You wore a white shirt and tie. And I get that white shirt and tie, and, man, just bright and crispy, and why did you get And then you wash them. I don't know about you, but then they, they you know, I'd lay a, a new shirt next to a washed shirt, and as you're washing it to make it really nice and white and bright, and it doesn't look white next to a white shirt. It looks kind of grayish. And if you got rust in your water like I do, it turns kind of brownish. That's why. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just one of those things. I mean, I, here's, no matter how clean Kathy would work at getting those things as clean as they could, she barred me from doing laundry because of the way I did laundry. But they're never ever as white as the new ones. They, they just, they just aren't. In order to get really, really white shirts, I gotta get new ones. Boy, it wasn't that deep. But think about it for a moment. And let me just share a couple passages out of here from from Hebrew eleven. You remember Hebrews eleven is the faith chapter? Because it tells us of all the great men and women of faith in the old testament and, and the experience of their lives. But at the end of that incredible chapter, we're told this. Because God had us in mind and had something better and greater in view for us so that they, these heroes and heroines of faith, should not come to perfection apart from us before we could join them. That, that, that's the amplified version. I love what it's saying there. The Old Testament saints were great people, but they lacked one thing that we have, and his name's Jesus. But, but that's not all. There's something we have as Christians because of Jesus. Earlier in Hebrews, we're told of one of the important advantages of having Christ in our lives. T -t Take a look at it. It says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will put my what? Where were they, where were they before? Written on a stone tablet. But now he says, I will put my, my, capital M, my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds their sin and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. No longer where, I'm sorry, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Something greater than an animal sacrifice. It's done. And the writer of Hebrews puts it straight out there. And, 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 and then, you know, it, it's interesting. Ah. Uh, Take a look at Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us 
through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let, under, underline this part, let us draw near. Back in Exodus, it's like, uh-uh, don't go near. Now he's saying, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, I hope you catch that. We get to draw near to God. Because of Jesus, we have confidence to enter the most holy place and boldly approach the throne of God. The Israelites at Mount Sinai again, were not allowed to even touch the mountain. They weren't holy enough to come into God's presence. But now, now because of the blood of Jesus, you and I can do what they could not do. And when we get up close and personal with God, it's because he has made the way. Not because we've kept a bunch of rules and lived a clean lie. You and I can only come into God's presence only because of what God has done. He has done something new in our lives. Hello, somebody. He has done something new in our lives. He has done something new new in our lives. <sighs> Turning, I'm making face, I'm trying to say, okay, I'm going to say it, all right? Oh, this might be too bold and ugly. You're still going to love me afterwards, right? The church is full of a bunch of dummies. They know little or nothing about their God and about who they're serving. Their entire concept is Bible stories. They have an image or a picture. They have a concept. They don't have a knowledge. They have an idea. And so that's what they worship. They worship an idea. They don't worship in truth. They worship in a concept. They think they know who God is out of their concept that's been created. How that was created, oh, who knows? You know, by this person saying something or that person saying something or this, this teacher over here or a book they read. They have a concept. Whoopee! I have concepts too. Most of them are wrong. But we don't have knowledge. We don't walk in knowledge. We don't walk in a true knowledge and understanding of who he is. We don't even take 
Mr. Thompson, we're lucky if we get in eight clear. I'm not trying to beat people over the head. That's not what I'm about. I'm trying to identify and reveal something to you. You know, I I, I get it a lot. I get people who will write me or people who will call me or people that will talk to me. And, 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 you know, they're stuck on this one thing that they, they have based their entire life on. And they don't even know what comes before it in Scripture or after it in Scripture or have an understanding of what it was, what, what was, why it was spoken there, or the culture from which it comes from, or any of the reasons that surround it. And I'm sorry, but friend, I'm here to tell you, God wants you, has made a way for you to not have a concept of Him, but to know Him. It comes back to Psalm what, 103, verse seven, where it says, "His acts He made known." to the children of Israel, but his ways he made known to Moses. Now, I'm paraphrasing it, but his ways he made known to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. There, I quoted it for you. But here's the point. When all you have is a concept of God, you can't trust him. When all you have is an idea of God, you have no idea what he's going to do next. When all you've got is a concept You don't know whether this is going to work out or that's going to work out or the reason behind this or why is this all happening or why is this in the middle? Why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God handle it? That's because you don't know God. Just yawn. Sorry. But I get passionate about this. It doesn't mean you're not going to be emotional and feel things. But when you know things, you walk in a rest that the emotions can never supply. You walk in a peace that surpasses all understanding and a love that surpasses all knowledge. Oh, by the way, that's Bible. But how many of us know very little about the God and who he is that we serve? And there's been a new thing happen. And we have no idea about it. Friend, everything is not going to come from this pulpit. It is our responsibility. Well, I can never get anything out of the Bible. And I probably can think that the Bible never got anything out of you. (laughs) Just maybe I do buy a bit or not. Really? That's our excuse. Well, the Bible, I can't understand it. That's what we call in this house a burrito. That is a lie wrapped up in an excuse. You keep reading it, and you're going to get something out of it. If you quit on it, you won't get anything from it. And so many people quit before they get, and they're right next to getting something from it. Well, I pray, but my I, ne- I don't see anything. Right? Well, friend, keep praying, and you'll see it happen. I'm here to tell you, 
that he has done something new. And, and let, me, let me just, just, just point it out. It, it, you know, what, do you know that <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is one of my favorite verses of all times. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? But that excites you, don't it? Why? Because we've become numb to these things. But I'm here to tell you, you're a new creation. Creation. New. New, 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 new. No, I'm not talking about a new car. Because when you buy a new car, it's not a new creation. It's the same as, only in a newer form that we would understand it. New in the Greek here is never, ever seen before. If you're found in Christ, you are a never, ever seen before creation. Old things have what? Isn't that a nice way of saying dead Old things have passed away. What's the next word? Say it louder, please. Yeah. Because that's the way it's written to be pronounced. Behold! It's with explanation points. I just woke Pastor Bruno up. I'm sorry, sir. Behold! It's what it said. It's explanation, explanation, explanation. Look, man, will you look at this? Look at this. All things have passed away. Look at this. All things have become what has never, ever been before. Do you realize that's who you are? And he whom the Son sets free Okay, let's, let's do a, a barometer check. I wonder how many in this place, no, don't raise your hands, but I wonder how many in this place would really say, I'm free. But all you feel is the bondage and the weight and the agony. All you feel is a load and helpless. vulnerable, always looking for something that might make you feel better, and it never comes. Oh, I understand. You know, you have those moments, right? A bowl of ice cream will make you feel great. Oh, yes, it will. only, you know, what, what's this? But only for a little bit. See, here's what I want to tell you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Know him. 
I'm not going to get into a big explanation on the word no, but I will at another time. But it is not a no that's intellectual. It is a no that is experiential and intimate. That's how Adam knew his wife. That's why all the other fruits, they knew their wife. Result, child is born. Know your God and see what's born. There's an intimacy there. You are a new creation if you're found in Christ. But how is it that God can take somebody who has really messed up their lives and make them new again? Again. It's through the transforming power of the blood of Jesus. I, I can't I, I can't quite explain it, but the process completely is real. And I, I know it works because I've seen the results, not only in others, but in me. This morning you know, took a cup of what we call grounds, they're coffee beans, you know, kind of the ground. Here, put them in the filter, right? Slid it in the canister. And I poured water in, and the water came through the beans. But the water didn't look the same as when I first put it in. Because the beans fused with the water. And made the most aromatic, wonderful smelling, beautiful tasting liquid in the world. And I stand against any tea drinker in this house this morning. I can't explain how it happens, but a fusion takes place. And what I once called water, I now call coffee. What once tasted crisp and clear, now tastes like coffee. What didn't have a smell, now smells like coffee. And what didn't have an effect on me, now gives me caffeine. But there's been a fusion between the two. I say this to you this morning. When the love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, His grace is poured out. There is a fusion that takes place. The water of the Holy Spirit is poured out into the beans. And what happens is I become not the same anymore. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now I'm in his presence because of who he is and what he's done. And can I add to that one more thing? I feel like I'm going in circles here. But can I add to that one more thing? I 
am free. I'm not held by any law, rule, bondage. I'm not a slave. I am a child of God. A son or a daughter is not a slave. They are a child, and we are a child of God. And I say that to us this morning as I close. You can only have what I'm talking about in your life when you turn your life over to Jesus Christ. What a choice. I shall know him. I shall know him. As redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And it's a, it's a, sorry. I kind of. But my heart is this. That there would be a rising of bold believers. And you're never going to become a bold believer with a concept. You're going to become a bold believer because you know him. You know him. He says, learn of me. Follow me and learn of me. Know who I am. This is not a day for excuses a day and an age because we don't know what tomorrow holds we don't know what the future holds we are living in a day and an age where the return of our Lord and Savior can be at any moment I know I've heard that all my life but I've never seen the seasons as they are today and the truth of the matter is he's coming back for a church that is what has a concept of him coming back? Can you walk out in the middle of this world and know that you know that you know? Oh, I didn't mean to take it off like that. I'm sorry. But I'm here to tell you. Father, thank you for your word this morning, and thank you for speaking into our hearts and lives. Thank you for surrounding us, loving on us. Holy Spirit, forgive us for the shallowness and the emptiness and for the concepts that we have created because we have created God in our own image, so to speak. We have been living in a condition that is separate from you because it's concept. 
There's no intimacy. There's no knowledge. There's, there's only emotion and frustration and looking for the fuzzy feelings. And God, there needs to be so much more here. And I pray that, Lord, in the name of Jesus, eyes would be open. Revelation of who you are. There's more to this than salvation. And I thank you for the salvation. But God, we as a church need you. We as a nation need you. We need to know you, look to you, understand. We need to be led by you, guided and governed by you. We need to embrace you as you have embraced us. That this day of freedom, this day of liberty, realize the spirit of truth. With your heads bowed, let me ask this question this morning. You're in this place, and the truth is, you're not a new creation. You're still stuck in a bondage. You're still in a place of slavery. You're not free. Even though you keep telling yourself, I'm my own man, I'm my own woman. You know how that's working for you. And there's no peace. Doesn't mean you don't look for it, but you know it's not there. But this morning, God's making an invitation. God's saying that because of his son, that he gave because he loved you so. That today awakes old things passing away and everything becoming new. That you this day can be that new creation through Jesus Christ. But as the Israelites received those commands, this day, this hour, this moment, it comes by receiving His grace and His invitation. It's still your choice. He loved you enough to send His Son. He valued you that much. If you're here in this place this morning, and your heart is saying yes to Him, this morning there needs to be that choice, that affirmation of that choice. And it's sometimes the hardest thing you'll ever do. But let me tell you something. When you do it, everything breaks off and falls off. But if you're in this place this morning and you're ready to receive 
Christ has done for you. Right where you sit. Would you just confirm that with an upraised hand this morning? I just want to pray for you right where you sit. That's you this morning. And you're saying yes to the grace of God. Would you just right where you sit, just, just raise that hand. I want to pray with you this morning. Pray for you. Right where you sit. Thank you, Jesus, that you would care enough, that you would love upon, that you would surround us in this place, to know your hand, to know your touch, to know your grace, to be reaffirmed. But Lord, as believers, we need to know. We need to know. We live by concepts, God, concepts. We allow medias to paint concepts. We allow politicians to to, to paint concepts. We allow churches to to, to paint concepts. Ministers, doesn't matter. Everybody's painting concepts that they want us to embrace. Lord, we need to know, to know you, to know your heart and to know your ways to know your presence to know who you are and who you will be and not just have a concept of something but know what's behind you being who you'll be So I pray, open the eyes of our understanding. Fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Lead us and guide us. Direct us and move us. Embrace us as we embrace you. Lord, this day, we make ourselves open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? (laughs) I'm tempted to sing an old hymn, but uh, my only reason I'm not is because I forget half the words. That's why. But you know what? I honestly believe that God's saying something to us this morning in a very special way, with a very special reason. God says, I want to get together with you, Lord. I want, I want you to know me. I want to do things with you. I want to be a part of things. I want to, I want to, I, I'm, I'm saying something ethereal because the truth is he's, fused with us he's one with us but we do do we allow him to live or do we quench that do we suppress that do we live from this do we live from this it's time for the church
encourage you right now. I need you to do me a favor. I want to conclude this in a certain way this morning. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. I'm just going to fall off. Did I scare you? Let's try it again, shall we? Would you uh, sort of scoot over to somebody close to you? Just take their hand for a moment. If you're not by somebody, then don't be, don't be stubborn. Go ahead and get by somebody. Don't be by yourself. Don't, don't wait for somebody to come to you. We need each other. <laughs>